My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. Today, I have... Medina with me. So Medina is another uh, licensed professional counselor or Medina. I'm not even sure what exactly the credentials are, um, but we can get into that. Um, I'll let Medina kind of introduce herself a little bit. We work together at NoCD um, and we're going to chat today about perfectionism, just right, and how that all kind of plays together when it comes to making decisions. Um, obviously, decision making is really difficult a lot of times for people who have OCD. It is the doubt disorder after all. So that kind of back and forth with decision making um, can be really debilitating sometimes. So Medina, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and we'll hit it off from there. Yeah, well, first off, I'm so excited to be here. I know that we did one so long ago. What's it been like a year, maybe? <laughs> yeah, it was about, um, and it was a really good topic. It was about like how OCD therapists are a different breed. Like we're not what you would expect and why and why that's a good thing for OCD. So yeah, so if you haven't um, listened to that episode, that would be a really good one to head back to and listen to. But it's all about how you know, why a good ERP specialist won't give you reassurance the way that another, you know, therapist might. It's the, you know, discussion about why we don't necessarily delve into your past too much and why we do that. And it's all seems like a little bit of tough love and might be difficult to swallow sometimes, but we go over why it, it is actually love and, and why, why ERP specialists kind of are the way that we are. So, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so as Jenna said, we work together. Um, my credential is licensed mental health counselor. Um, and yeah, just treating OCD. Um, I do some operational stuff at NoCD too. So a lot of the back end of making sure that our members get really good care. So really exciting stuff. Awesome. And I personally, I love Medina for so many reasons, but she really... I feel like me, like I tried to anyway, I, she really walks the walk, right? Like she really does um, kind of envelop and really try to take on what we try to teach our members, what we try to teach our people who have OCD, right? So, you know, making sure that our values are guiding our decisions instead of fear, um, you know, doing the uncomfortable thing and knowing that even if it's in the short term, very difficult to do those hard things that you know, they pay off in the long run. And in fact, that's how we grow. That's how we get better. Um, so yeah, I really love everything about Medina, including that, but, um, speaking of decision-making, so, um, 
Medina, why don't you give us our, just a quick rundown of like how you see perfectionism and just rightness and difficulty decision-making in your day-to-day experiences working with people who have OCD. Yeah. I, well, first off, thank you. I love, I love you and everything about you as well. Um, but yeah, I think the cool thing that I love about just right is that you see it manifest in so many different ways. And one of the things that I think can easily be missed for both clinicians and members is making sure to catch the just rightness when it comes to actually incorporating ERP into our lives. So because people with OCD oftentimes want to do things really well, which as therapists, we love and appreciate. We also know that it can get in the way of actually doing the ERP. So wanting to do ERP perfectly oftentimes can kind of get in the way of actually doing the ERP and making a decision, um, you know, whether to do this thing or that thing, which is what actually gets in the way of people living their lives. So there's no wrong or right decision. At least that's what I tell people. It's more so about um, removing all that time and energy energy spent in trying to find what the right decision is versus going picking a decision and going with it and yeah sitting with the chance that maybe that was the wrong quote unquote wrong decision to choose. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I see it in those ways too. I see just right. It comes out in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I think a lot of the times when we hear about just right, we think like, oh, that things visually have to look just right. Right. Like the things on my bookshelf have to look just right or whatever, but it can come so many other ways. Um, so I've worked with so many people who have this like almost internal feeling of just right. Um, that they have to wait to get out of bed before they feel and until they feel just right, that they have to wait until they are, you know, feeling just right before they can do X, Y, and Z or go and do the things that they want to do. Um, and then like you're saying, right, like trying to find almost like the just right decision, trying to come to like this just right feeling of certainty or like feeling of confidence in a decision. Um, but ultimately, yeah, when we're met with these two decisions, right, like, or these two options or even more options when it comes to making a decision, I think where OCD gets in the way is that we want every, we we're waiting for one of those options to feel like 100% perfect, right? Like with no consequences, it's just going to be all good. It's going to be something that we 100% don't regret. Um, and unfortunately we know that, you know, the more that we give into that doubt, the more that we procrastinate making decisions, the more that we put that off and put that off, the less confident we actually get in our own abilities, the less confident we actually get in our own um, decision-making and confidence in general. So um, I always talk to my members about, they did a research study a long time ago. This was about people who um, do like the physical checking uh, when it comes to like checking their doorknobs, checking their faucets. You would think that the more frequently that someone checks something that they would become more confident in their memory. Like if they check something 50 times versus a hundred times versus 150 times that, oh, they would be more confident in their memory having checked it more times, but the opposite of that is actually true, right? So, you know, as you check your faucet more or your hair straightener to make sure that it's off, you actually become less confident in your memory. And while that study was about like more physical things and checking more physical things, I don't, I would venture to say that that has every ability to generalize to other rituals and other obsessions too, right? So this decision, let's say you make a decision, 
Um, and then you kind of go back in your mind and you ruminate about that. You try to like check through that decision, walk through it. You know, maybe you reassurance seek with other people. Maybe you entertain the other alternate options. Um, I see that as being just the same as like going back and checking to make sure that your faucet was off, right? Like by doing that, it might feel and it might might make sense that that you might be increasing your confidence in, in your decision. But all of the research says and all of our experiences probably show that the more that we go back and check our decisions in whatever way that comes, the less confident we actually are in our decisions. So I don't know what thoughts you have about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I say to members all the time, OCD is paying attention to your behavior because so often we know that like logically a person can sit there and say, oh, you know, Jenna, I know that if I ruminate on this decision that I won't necessarily know what the quote unquote right decision is. However, if your behavior then is to spend five hours ruminating on it, OCD paid attention and said, well, no, we must be able to come to that some sort of like resolution or conclusion because you wouldn't have spent the last five hours ruminating or Googling or whatever. And so it's so much about paying close attention to how you're behaving to make sure that um, it's not aligning with fear, right? And I think too, just like when it comes to decision-making, you'll never know the right decision, but, and it might be the right one, it might be the wrong one, but if you can at least align your decisions with what you value over what you're scared of, you can at least have, um, you know, confidence in, you know, doing what what you're, you enjoy. And I think you bringing up the example of checking is interesting. I met with one of my members yesterday. He had a baby recently and he keeps checking the bassinet to make sure if the baby is, you know, breathing or suffocating or, or whatnot. And he, he said something to what you just said that like, you know, the more I check, I feel like the more I'll, I'll feel more comfortable. And I looked at him and I said, but you're sitting here still telling me you're worried. Right. Mm -hmm. And so his confidence hasn't gotten any higher and he's missing out on precious time with his child, right? Because he's, he's spending it, you know, maybe physically with the child, but ruminating, right? He's not mentally there. He's not mentally present with a child. So the very fear of child dying or passing away is actually in a way self-fulfilled there because he's physically again with the child, but he's not really actually there. And in a way, it's kind of like a symbolic death of, of that experience. Um, so not to get too much off on a tangent, it's just, again, the behaviors are so important. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I just, I see it coming up so many different ways. I think what people resonate with the most are these like real life examples of, oh my gosh, I do that too. And oh my gosh, I didn't realize that that was related to OCD. I thought that was just how my brain worked or I thought everybody did that. So, um, yeah, I think just going into different examples of how this can come up and especially with the whole treatment and recovery process, right? Like a lot of times that indecision or just rightness or perfectionism can get in the way or be like a direct barrier to actually starting treatment and starting the recovery process, right? Like, do I actually, do I have OCD or do I not? Right. Wow. Um, you know, I need to feel just right. I need to feel like I do 100% have OCD before I make that call, or I need to be 100% sure that ERP is right for me before I go. I need to be 100% sure about the type of therapist, right? Or the, you know, do I go with this therapist or this therapist? Do I, you know, do therapy at this time or this time? Um, and ever, I think every time that someone has an urge to do a compulsion, 
that in and of itself can bring a lot of opportunities to have, I mean, it's a decision, right? Like, do I resist or do I submit? Do I resist this ritual or do I give into it and, and OCD's demands? Um, and obviously there are pros and cons to every decision, right? Like there is a pro and con of giving into the OCD, which is the benefit is that you obviously get that short-term relief. You get that like sigh of relief, um, even if it is temporary you have that con obviously of, you know, contributing to the OCD cycle and making it so much worse. Obviously there are pros and cons to not giving into compulsions, right? The pro is that you're, you know, taking back your life. You're going to contribute positively to your treatments, um, making OCD not so strong in the long term. but the con is that it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel some of that anxiety. So, um, what are some other ways, I guess, that you see all of these issues attacking the ERP process, and treatment in general or recovery in general? Yeah, I think the most notable thing I remember specifically when I first started treating OCD, I was assessing this woman who at the time I didn't know she had just right quite yet, but I just knew that I honestly felt frustrated in the session, which I'm sure some of you might be surprised to hear that because as therapists, we never get frustrated, but I felt frustrated in the session and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I look back at the case and it's interesting because nothing I said was just right. So I couldn't pair the My paraphrasing was wrong. The empathy I was giving was wrong. Like I, I, you know, we'll call this person Jane. Jane, it sounds like you've been feeling really down. No, Medina, I, I was feeling really sad. So she would, she was like correcting me after everything I was saying, it was taking the assessment process was excruciatingly long, unnecessarily long because nothing I was saying was just right. And so Again, like I think that in itself is even just a sneaky way for OCD to almost distract the provider. Um, and then even like the self-monitoring that I had her do, she came back and told me that she wasn't triggered at all in like the you know few days in between the appointments. And then I started to question like, oh my God, did I diagnose this woman incorrectly? Um, and so it's almost like the doubt sometimes is so strong for the member that it starts to instill doubt in the provider. Like, am I paraphrasing wrong? Am I giving the wrong kind of empathy? Am I not paying attention? There was like a couple of times right. where I'm like, oh my God, am I not paying attention? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that happens to me sometimes when I work with people who like doubt whether they understand OCD mm -hmm. or doubt whether they're doing exposures correctly. And I find myself like, the educator that I am, like, I want to go over it one more time or give them one more analogy or give them one more visual, uh, give them one more like graph or one more different kind of explanation. And it's like, oh my God, like after all of these different strategies that I've done to get you to like 100% perfectly understand, like I realize I've been contributing to a ritual this whole time. And like, now I feel like, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Like, so I feel like that's always a sign too, that like, well, we are participating in a ritual. We didn't necessarily realize it. Like, oh my gosh, like it's actually like getting to me now. Like that, that happens. Um, yeah. Like so, even the psychoeducation that you're talking about, like I have gotten to the point where when I give psychoeducation now, I upfront tell my member, I need you to take notes because I will re-answer a question once. And only once. And then from there, I'm going to tell you to refer back to your notes because, and I explained to them like why that is a ritual because they, they'll they say something like, uh, Medina, did you tell me that for tonight you wanted me to order a pizza with sausage, cheese, red pepper, and a side of breadsticks? Like something very specific. If you're coming back asking me like something so specific, like you clearly heard that, right? 
And so like for you to like, I don't know if I'm making sense. So like it, for them to say like all those things in the ingredients, like obviously I said that at some point and you're just double checking, triple checking, quadruple just to make checking. Sure. Yeah. And so it's like, mm, I know, you know, the answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, and like, what would be the cost of not right? Like what would be so bad if you got it wrong? What would be so bad if like, you didn't remember that perfectly? What would be so bad if you got the order wrong? Like that's also like something really big that I try to teach my members is like, you have to like, sometimes you get it wrong, right? Like there are times where you can be as sure as you can be, um, and you still get it wrong and, and life goes on and, and it's good to have those experiences. So you can show your brain that, Hey, like being wrong or not getting it right is not necessarily the end of the world, the way that my OCD wants me to believe that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that like links to what I would love your thoughts on, which is like core fears, right? So like this whole concept of core fears, I think core fears are super relevant. If not like probably the most important thing, like one of the most important things to tackle and to talk about in OCD recovery. Um, and I think it's super relevant to in decision-making and perfectionism just right, because it's like, well, what would be so bad if like, why would that be so bad? Right. And, and we uncover core fears, like, you know, it's not just about like, oh, I don't want Medina to be mad at me if I ordered the wrong thing or like, oh, that would have been a waste of money. It's like, no, you got to go deeper. Like, okay. So what would be so bad if you got that thing wrong for Medina? Oh, well then she would be really mad at me. Well, what would be so bad about Medina being bad, mad at you? Like that happens. Let's just say that she was mad at you. Why would that be so bad? Because mm -hmm. then I would feel bad that I disappointed her. Okay. Well, what would be so bad about disappointing Medina? And you just go, 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 go. And you get to like this core fear where it's kind of like this dead end. And it's like, shit, that's it. Like, that's what it is. And I think you realize like it didn't actually have anything to do with that ingredient list. It didn't have anything to do with Medina being mad at me or, you know, making the wrong purchase or whatever. It's like, wow, like I'm actually, this is just like a teeny tiny little expression and teeny tiny little manifestation of this bigger core fear, which the ones that I see a lot in indecision is like fear of regret. Like this fear that they're going to have made this like, like this horrible decision that are going to have these long lasting, you know, awful effects throughout their life. And they're going to be responsible for it. And they just have this like core fear of regret. Maybe they have this core fear of, you know, just like, you know, maybe they made a decision and that makes them feel like a bad person. And then they have to live with that for the rest of their lives. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts about core fears or any other core fears that you see that might be relevant to, especially in decision-making just right and perfectionism. Yeah, I, I think I see, cause well, first off, let me say, I think it can be easy to get tripped up on like the fear. Cause a lot of times, and I don't know if you noticed this, but if you ask someone with just right OCD, like what they're scared of, a lot of times they won't be able to identify it the same way as like, you know, harm OCD. Like I'm scared. I would, it seems more like blatant or apparent. Um, you know, I scared I would stab someone or whatever. I, a lot of it winds up being, um, at least what I'm seeing is this fear of like not feeling right. And then that self-fulfilling prophecy of not being able to enjoy whatever is going on. Right. So if I don't feel quite right, like I'm not going to be able to fully relax. Or if I don't feel, well, that's, that is a big one. I won't be able to fully relax. And then the irony of that is, um, that you never relax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I also do see a lot of like what you're saying. And then to like, even go deeper, sometimes it 
winds up being this fear of like being left all alone or being like sad or depressed because of all of that. Um, and so I think the cool thing about finding some of those core fears is you kind of open up a new like vortex of a bunch of different exposures that you want to really think of when you think of like the surface level fear. So, um, like, I don't know, like what would be something that, um, you would be scared to do, but want to do because you want something that you want to do, but would be scared to do because of, you know, fear that it would be depressing, for example, like maybe you want to spend the whole day alone and just sit and read, but you're scared that that might cause you to feel sad. It's like, but no, let's read. And if that's that feeling does come up, we let that feeling exist, but we still read because that's what we want to do. Right. And so I think it can open up, um, different exposures when we find what the core fear is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think when it comes to decision-making people, especially with OCD, but, but generally, right. Like we, have this alternate fantasy, right? Like I see it in relationship OCD, like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid, like, am I with the right person? Um, there's almost this element of perfectionism with the person or with the relationship itself, potentially even like this fear of regret of like, oh my gosh, what if I'm with the wrong person and I've made this wrong decision and I've wasted time or whatever. Um, and you could say that with any theme or subtype of OCD, but just as an example, there's often this like alternate fantasy that you're comparing it to like that somehow another partner would be better and, you know, not just better, but perfect. Right. And it's like, maybe that alternate fantasy is, you know, also like maybe that alternate reality, like that other partner would be worse, right? Like maybe that relationship would be worse. Um, we always, kind of imagine this like other decision that we have made uh, or that we could have made as being better and flawless and perfect. And that's just a fantasy that doesn't exist. Like the other decision that would have been so much better, it's not perfect. And it, it could, it could be worse in a lot of ways. Um, I think of it too, like, I think of it from also like a business perspective. So, um, we learned in school a while ago, like that as far as businesses go and as far as like products go, like you don't even want to have things be 100%, like cars, for instance, like um, the example that comes to my mind is like, uh, if you're making a Ford Fiesta, like you don't want it to be 100% the best. And the reason why is that it becomes costly, right? So um, they will try to make it, they'll try to make that Ford Fiesta, like at 90% quality because anything under 90% doesn't really sell well, right? Like it doesn't get good ratings, whatever, but every percentage over that 90% is very costly and it doesn't really give you a return on that investment. So yeah, you could make a 98% perfect Ford Fiesta, but it's going to be the price of a Rolls Royce and no one's going to buy it. Right. So I guess my whole pro point is like, you know, like there's a point where you can have confidence about a decision. You can have faith and trust. Mm -hmm. Those things all in and of themselves are uncertain, right? Because like, who knows what the decision is? Like, there's no way to feel 100% like solid or know 100% that a decision is the best decision you could have made. Um, but we can't shoot for that 100% because it's costly. We have to get to the point where we feel kind of good about it, right? Like, you know, where we have some confidence and faith and trust, but to go beyond that, to go from 90% to 100%, it's cost, it's costly. And, um, 
it's just not going to give you a very good, like to get to from that 90 to 95 or that 95 to 100, not only is it not possible, but it's very costly mm-hmm. in terms of your mental health. Um, there's a loss of time, right? Like uh-huh. besides being impossible, there's a disconnection. You disconnect from everything. You disconnect from what you value. You're avoiding making a decision because you're just going like back and forth. So obviously you're wasting time. You're wasting resources. There's a, a degrading of your reasoning abilities, a degrading of your confidence and your coping skills. And although meanwhile, you have not made a decision and someone else is going to get that, that Ford Fiesta, right? Like it it just passes you. And then you're regretting that you spent so much time in the indecision. Yeah. Yeah. That self-fulfilling prophecy again. And I think, um, you know, it's reiterating what you're saying, but I always ask people like, how would you know you made the right decision? And the answer is always, you wouldn't ever know. And so instead of trying to figure out the right decision, we're giving ourselves back that time and energy. Because no matter what we're left with uncertainty, not even just with perfectionism, whatever like subtype or fear or worry that any of us have, we're always left with uncertainty no matter what. And so the only thing that you know us as therapists can give you back is your time and energy. Um, and to learn to live despite that uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And to learn like the difference, like thinking is not going to solve anything, right? Like thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking again has never solved anything. You never get that like, aha, like mystical moment where everything like aligns and makes sense because you just thought about it a little bit more. Like there's a difference between like this rumination and overanalyzing versus problem solving. Can you speak to that a little bit before we kind of wrap up? Yeah, I think finding a balance? I don't know. I guess that is a good question. I think just baseline, it's important to know the difference between thought and thinking, right? Right. So that's where I think a lot of times we get tripped up is the thought that thoughts pop in, right? And so we can't control that piece, but then whatever we're conjuring up is what we're working on reassessing and trying to resist. When it comes to decision-making, I do like to have people say like, Hey, what are my values? What are my fears? And let me try to align my decision based off of my value and spend a minimal amount of time figuring quote unquote, figuring that out, um, and moving on. So I think it's just anything in excessive and time consuming manners. So if, if you feel like, um, you're spending a lot of time and energy in it and it's interfering with your day-to-day functioning, that's when we you know, would want to look at cutting it off. Mm -hmm. For sure. And you're mentioning like problem solving is more like you're, you're getting answers, right? Like you're not just like continually questioning, right? So problem solving, I think of like, okay, like it's forward moving, like it's one step after the other, it's progressive. It's not cyclical, like this rumination can be. Um, So as we wrap up here, I always like to drop some like truth bombs, um, like last minute kind of takeaways for people. Um, Mine, as far as just right, perfectionism and indecision would go, I would say, you know, that like every decision could be wrong. Like no matter how you do it, it could be wrong. And um, also that like that, that fantasy doesn't, that alternate fantasy where the other decision was perfect. It doesn't exist. That also would have come with some crap to it, right? Like it's not as perfect as you think, um, that that also would have had some, um, not so great things in that. And it, it, we can't just say that, oh, you know, I didn't like this decision that I made, or I'm afraid of making this decision. And th- there's this other decision that's just perfect. Um, 
And then finally, right, like to be okay with that, like 80 to 90%, everything above and beyond that is kind of costly um, and prohibitive, right? So um, something else that I, I've told people is like success isn't making the right decision, right? Like it's coping with the decisions that you've made. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. the reality is, is that no amount of rituals that you do, no amount of rumination that you do, no amount of, you know, going back and forth, you know, that's not going to be like the key to the rest of your life. You know, like you are going to make the wrong decisions, quote unquote, you are going to make mistakes. It's a human tendency. It's a human trait. And so nothing in life can protect you from that. You know, you're not safe from that. I'm not safe from that. Our neighbors down the street aren't safe from making poor decisions every once in a while. It's just part of life. And OCD comes in and tries to, you know, sell you. Like, if you just think about it enough, you'll be safe from this like universal human reality. If you just do this ritual and you think about it and you think about it and you ask all these people and you overly, overly research all of your options, then you'll be safe from this human nature tendency. And it's like, that's not true. Like we are going to make mistakes. We are going to have to make hard decisions and we're going to have to learn from them. So success is not about making the right decisions. It's about coping with the decisions that you've made and trying to kind of make the best out of that. And you keep moving forward. Um, so as we wrap up here, what would kind of be your last minute takeaways and, and truth bombs for our peeps? I know you and I were chatting a little bit about this before we got onto the podcast, but something that I teach myself and I teach other people is that it's not that serious. It's not about invalidating how hard this experience is and how hard it is to live with uncertainty and discomfort, but a lot of times anxiety has us taking life way too seriously. And, you know, to your point, what would be so bad about making a mistake or quote unquote, the wrong decision. Um, and those are things that, you know, we learn from and we grow from. So that would be my big takeaway is that mm-hmm. it's not that serious. And that there's a cost too. like, there is something serious about not making a decision. Like, you know, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. I can imagine people out there with like health complications, right? Like, but this is serious, Medina, this is serious. And it's like, yeah, it is. And you're also like probably not doing the best thing for your health mentally or for your physical health by like sitting here and cycling through the indecision process. Like at some point you're going to have to make a decision and by continuing to think about it, you're not going to feel better about it. Like you're actually deteriorating that as you continue to avoid it. So, um, you know, it's, it's realizing that like as uncomfortable as it is, we have to do this scary thing and it's not going to feel great. It's going to feel uncomfortable, but we have to do it. We have to do it. So I loved having you. Um, this was so like last minute and not prepared at all, but I think it went really well. Um, so Medina, why don't you tell people, one of us. <laughs> why don't you tell people last minute where they can find you? Uh, yeah. So my Instagram handle is mental health underscore Medina underscore. And yeah, I would love to have you guys follow me. I try to post uh, some cool stuff. So say hi to me if you do. Awesome. Sounds good. I'll be sure to link that in the show notes for you guys. So you don't forget, you can go and follow her. Um, Thank you, Medina, so much for being here. For having me. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overba and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. 
As always, you have a free minute. It would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.